Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Noah Segan. As an actor, you've seen him in a ton of movies like Knives Out, Scare Package, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Starry Eyes, and this year's Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. But in front and behind the camera, his feature film debut, Blood Relatives, is currently streaming on Shudder. Welcome to the show, Noah. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We're so excited to have you here. And what, I mean, I can't wait to dig into the movie you brought with you today, because what a choice. But before we do get that far, take us back to the very beginning. How did you get introduced to, like, horror? Wow. Well, you know, I I was the, um, the third of three kids, and both my siblings are quite a bit older than me. My sister is seven years older than me. My brother's 10 years older than me. And by the time I came around, 
I think they were pretty liberal with whatever, with mm. me doing whatever I wanted to do. You know, it's sort of, you know, the, the, often it's, it's, it's the case with the baby, especially after you're tired of raising two other ones who were, you know, doing their own thing. So, you know, uh, and it was also the, the, the sort of heyday, I guess, of video store culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so going down to the video store and kind of coming back with a handful of, videos was super normal and encouraged and they let me run amok. Um, and you know, the, the thing that I think really initially drew me to genre were franchises Okay, was this Um, idea that you could like, you know, I could rent five movies that are, you know, a continuing story. So the serialization aspect really, really, really touched me. And it was also during a time when more of these movies were coming out, right? There was always another, there was always another nightmare. There was always another Friday movie. I mean, these were sort of big cultural moments. And so it was Mm -hmm. easy as a little kid to get excited about them, even if I like kind of should not have been watching them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I get that a hundred percent, which, um, so you brought up the franchises. Do you have a favorite of all of them? I mean, nowadays in terms of sort of like a, a classic traditional, you know, popcorny kind of franchise. I mean, I really like the Omen series. Okay. Oh, no one has said that before, Terry. I love that. No, that's I love amazing. That. <laughs> I really, really like the Omen series, and I like the I like what it sort of spawned. Like, I like the kind of place that it has culturally, mm-hmm. and that's just what I've always respond. What I've always responded to in terms of, I think, just sort of kind of overall tone and 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 story you know i think the older i get the more i kind of look at at jason as a representative of something rather than as jason you know for many right. years it's like you know you're you look at these you look at these uh uh monsters and you sort of see them for their monsterness but then as you get older i feel like at least I feel like I've I've sort of started looking at them more of sort of in the macro sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the first franchise you watched as a kid? It was probably Nightmare. Okay, cool. It was probably Nightmare. Um, uh, 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 that was probably the first. And I mean, I guess that it was, you know, it would have been one through five. It would have been no one. Okay. Ni- no new nightmare was. That would have come out in like, what was that? 1990, I think 1991. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so yes. it would have been, it would have been that. So it would have been through new night. Okay. It would have been the, it probably would have been the excitement of new nightmare coming out that forced the nightmare franchise upon me. Uh, did horror movies really scare you as a kid? Were you kind of a scared kid growing up or were you okay with them for the most part? Horror movies didn't scare me. Okay. But other movies did. Mm. You know, a movie that um, is not the movie we're talking about today that really scared me um, was uh, Edward Scissorhands. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And it still scares me. It still scares me. Really? Yeah. What about it? What about it? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what about it what about it scared you because i mean we covered that one on the podcast before so i i cannot completely understand why but i'm curious what what resonated with you with that one you know i think it was the sort of um the slow motion car crash effect that the movie had where you sort of knew that this monster who was created for companionship created right. for love and and affection and 
fellowship was not going to get that. And you mm. were basically going to have to watch him suffer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that really affected me. And the idea that, you know, people who may look or even act as if they care about you don't care about you um, or that your existence is tenuous is based on um, I'm getting like deep here, you know, is is sort of based on the whims of these kind of shitty people. Yep. Like that started, that hit me really hard when I was like eight years old. Like to me, that was like a bet. That was something I didn't want to know. Yeah. That's a big reality, like realization as an eight-year-old, especially like that's a lot to grapple with at such a young age and like think about. Yeah. And then you like, makes you all fucking punk rock. I mean, shit. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're like, I'm cooler than all the other fucking eight-year-olds. I guess. (laughs) But what were some of your other kind of favorite horror movies besides the franchises growing up? Ooh, um... Well, let's see. Growing up, I mean, growing up, I was a big Hitchcock guy. Okay. Like I, I loved, okay. I loved old movies. So I loved Hitchcock. Um, I loved uh, the Hammer films. You know, there mm-hmm. the, there was a period of time in the '90s where, like, basic cable television had just like a a real wild potpourri of stuff. So you would see, you know, old Universal Monster movies, you would see Hammer stuff would get replayed. So you know, all the like Chris Lee stuff was 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 mm. was big with me. Um yeah. and Hitchcock old movies, we had like VHSs of Hitchcock. Oh, cool. You know, uh you know, but then there were I mean it was just it was wild when I think about the stuff that really freaked me out like Beyond Edward Scissorhands another one that really me up and still sort of does not as much as scissor hands but um baron munchausen okay scared the shit out of me i've actually never seen that i've never seen that Um, i've never seen it oh man it's incredible it's incredible filmmaking it's incredibly well done it's a great cast it's a great story um you know much like edward sister hands it's it, it works because it's a great movie it's very effective but it is also about war and it's about like a kid caught in the middle of a war and um you know it's very much about what scares this kid which okay is heavy you know what i mean like watching a kid get scared yeah um if you are a kid can fuck you up but that's not really a, a horror. Uh, that's not really a horror movie. I mean, the horror movies were kind of safe spaces for me. You know, the horror movies felt yeah. like like they were fun. You know, Child's mm-hmm. Play was fun. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and and then as I got a little bit older, even like you know Romero's films and stuff like that. You know, the, the, the there was a there was a certain joy and a self awareness that I really liked. Cool. I think we've seen that a lot too, like in talking to so many people, like horror is a comfort and you kind of know what to expect with a horror movie and to be scared. But then again, these other movies, these movies that are kids movies or movies that aren't seen as genre are the ones that kind of hit you out of nowhere because you don't expect to have those emotional reactions. Or like you said, you're confronting emotions that you hadn't really had to confront before as a kid. And it is really interesting about how that affects us as kids and as adults too. It is really Yeah, there weren't, you know, I mean, the movies that scared me, I mean, are a lot of the movies that scare, you know, and in, in, in sort of a good way as well. I mean, you know, I'm sort of talking about a couple of movies that I think really, you know, like affected me and probably affect, you know, the way that I think about, about storytelling and 
and I have an emotional reaction, but then there were all the movies that we saw when we were kids and we were probably a little too young to see them, whether they were, you know, whether it was Temple of Doom or Ghostbusters or Gremlins, you know, um, yeah. you know, there were movies that were sort of made for adults in the style of kids movies. So kids saw them yep. yeah. and then, and then I think a lot of us saw them and it made us kind of feel like we were being included we were like oh we're we're sitting at the grown-up table you know and i mean yeah. that shit was 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 hugely influential it was hugely influential to sort of feel like you know i wasn't being talked down to yeah yeah for sure and so transitioning into your work now blood relatives can you tell our listeners a little bit about blood relatives if if they aren't familiar well blood relatives is a father daughter vampire road trip movie Hell yeah. Um, that uh, that we made uh, last year and it just came out on Shudder. Um, before we jump in super quick, I just want to say I saw Bones and All and this. I say Bones and All and your movie are an incredible double feature. And I'm, I'm yeah, I was telling Terry about well, this earlier. <laughs> thank you. I mean, I'll take that as a compliment because Bones and All is uh, yes. like a total masterpiece. But I, 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 I will say on or off the record that um, that when I saw Bones and All at Fantastic Fest, I was like blown away because obviously I'm a huge fan uh, of of Lucas and mm-hmm. and it's a and it's a beautiful film. But I was like, oh man, like mechanically, there's something sort of similar here that I think that we're approaching probably for the same reasons, right? You know, and and obviously, uh, um, I think it's a little bit different. You know, there's 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 different perspective, but I, like I said, I think that there's some mechanics that we're sort of approaching similarly, and then tonally they could not be more different and i'm like holy cow like to even be mentioned in the same breath as that movie is like i feel like that's like i've won an award like i should like i'm like like i like when they win all the academy awards and i'm gonna like run like (laughs) run up there and be like guys thank you guys so happy to be so happy to be part of the conversation Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Tara. I just want to, I was thinking about that all day after watching no, Blood I'm, Relatives and being like, these movies are so different, but so similar. And I love it. I'm so anyway. excited to hear that because like I'm I'm I, I watched your movie last night and then um I'm watching Bones and All tonight. So I'm like that perfect timing for that too. I can't oh, wait yeah. to hear what, what you think. Like I said, I don't think it's 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 I don't think that that there 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 are like I mean there's definitely like some plot and pacing and and um uh and sort of mechanical similarities in terms of how those movies were, were, you know, sort of the, how they're, how they're kind of formed or, or molded. But, um, you know, I just think, uh, uh, I think that movie's so beautiful and it's so effective and Taylor's performance is like bonk. I mean, you know, I think all the performances are good. I just think hers is so, uh, it's like, I mean, I mean, you know, yeah. let's go back to your movie, though. Sorry, I, I, totally like <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It's a different. I mean, I'm sorry. I'll keep talking about Taylor's performance in um, in uh, in Bones and All. But you're speaking about her performance in Bones and All. But um, I have to say, Victoria Morales, more more. Morales? Morales. Is that Morales. Morales? Morales. Morales. Her performance in this is is so fantastic. I remember seeing her in um, I think she was in Teen Wolf. Uh, yeah. A few a few seasons of Teen Wolf, and so that's my that was my point of, of entry for 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 her as an actress. Have you but, seen uh, Plan B? Oh my god, I did. Yes, yeah, I did yeah. She's phenomenal in this. She is everything. She is the coolest, 
funniest, most like, I mean, knowing, like, just like a person who you can like be like, can you just can you take over here? And she'd be like, sure, I'll I'll figure this out. I'll figure it. I'll I'll help make make decisions. I I have I have everyone's interests in mind. I mean, just like coming. I mean, she's. I cannot wait to see to see the movie she writes and directs. Oh yeah. She brings such a, an energy to, to the performance. And I, uh, I, I'm curious kind of how, where did this, this idea come from for you as to be your debut feature film? How did you, how did this come to be? Well, I, I became a dad. Um, okay. I, I, uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I had, uh, I didn't have, have her, but my, my wife had a baby that I contributed to and, um, and, <laughs> and continue to contribute to in, in as many ways as I can. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to, I didn't, I didn't want to be on the road for nine months out of the year, uh, which is sort of mm-hmm. the life of a character actor. Yeah. Um, and so I stayed home and, and, uh, you know, even after my wife went back to work, she's a, a television writer and producer. And luckily she can work in LA and keep regular, you know, pretty regular hours. Um, mm. And I just decided, you know, uh, I'll stay home. I'll be, I'll be, you know, Mr. Mom for a little bit. And, um, and I would write, I would write while she napped and I would write in the middle of the night while mm. I'd be rocking her. And, you know, I just sort of felt like uh, uh, there were a lot of changes happening and I should talk about them. Yeah. That's so How cool. old your daughter now? Just, She's five, oh, and we have wow. uh, a little, uh, a little, little, little brother for her, um, who's two and a half. Wow! Wow! That's so. That's cool. so cool. And so, this is a question I asked you last time. I'm sorry, but with the vampire, and you, when we talked, you talked about like you know late nights, staying up all night with your daughter. And that reminds me of vampires in a tangential way of like being up all night as a vampire. And that's an interesting intersection that maybe is like, I'm reading too much into. It's probably pretty common that I read too much into these things, but what about the vampire really like attracted you to make, to kind of have that be the monster of focus in blood relatives? Yeah. I, um, I think sort of the, the sort of dual nature of the vampire started vibing with me you know there's like this you know there's this cool guy vampire that i sort of you know i try to show in the movie a little bit that we've seen in like near dark and we've seen in every other vampire movie where there's like some cool guy and he wears sunglasses at night and he you know has a leather jacket Mm -hmm. his hair's not like this his hair's like nice (laughs) you know or whatever slick back hair guy you know whatever and i was like that's you know that's kind of who i thought i was like you know that's kind of that's that that was something that you know I stayed up all night at film festivals and drank with my friends and, you know, and, and, and then I was up all night with a baby. Mm. Um, yeah. And I kind of had this, this dual existence, um, uh, in the middle of the night. And, uh, it made me think of vampires and, 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 and it made me think of my own mortality. It made me think of sort of this Mm. idea, this like, you know, heavy duty hope that it's like, you know, you know, you hope, you hope that they outlive you. Mm, yeah. yeah. You know, like you start having these thoughts that right. are like these really like deep existential thoughts about your own mortality and the fragility of your mortality. And um and so when I was thinking about this story and I was thinking about monsters, that was that's that's that monster. There he is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's that whole and not, this isn't a spoiler. I'm being very vague. There's an argument that you and Victoria have in the film about that kind of child outliving their parent 
and that's really and I was curious I guess where that that came from a similar place then I I'm assuming like that kind of existential fear of of outliving your child yes yeah you know the fear of 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 outliving your child the I think fear or um realization that you're doing your kid a disservice by you being the child. We've all seen that, right? We've all seen mm-hmm. some of us have felt that that we're the parent and our and our our mom or dad is the child and sort of yeah. that dynamic, you know, and and we've seen that dynamic in kitchen sink comedies. You don't need to make a horror movie about that. That's like something you yeah. know that a lot of people have dealt with and and talked about. And so, you know, I I I kind of wanted to sort of investigate that through the lens of this sort of genre place which is very comfortable for me hell yeah so i um i have one question and listeners this is a little bit of a spoiler so if you don't if you haven't seen the movie yet skip ahead but i am curious because you do open the world up a little bit as we start to get to the end in terms of introducing a character who shares my name um and i'm I'm curious is there a a sequel potential here is there is there a different story that that you might want to pursue with with this because it seems like there's some nuggets here. Well, we had I will I will say this without spoiling anything that um, you know, I, I mean I I loved working with these people. I loved writing this script. I love these characters. I love this tone. Um it's something I'm very comfortable with. I think a lot of us who worked on the movie would love to continue to tell these stories. You know, the guy who is our executive at Shutter who is the executive producer of this movie is this guy, Sam Zimmerman, who's really Mm -hmm. sort of a beloved guy among so many of us in the community. And he's a very close friend of mine. And I'm really happy to, to give out his home number and address. Oh, cool. Um, And I think people should just be reaching, just reach (laughs) out to him, just show up at any time, really at his door knock um, or just try that knob. You can just, you know, if it's open, just oh, go yeah. on in. He's fine with it. And just I'll go let him know. The back too. We, should, check the back we should do more of these. Yeah. You know, we okay. should, you know, maybe throw some pebbles at his window. Um, I guess start cyberbullying him, him on Twitter if that, if that needs let to happen. Let him know that we need to see more of these movies. Sure. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right, guys. Uh, Scarred for Life is launching a cyberbullying campaign into Sam Zimmerman <laughs> to get imagine? more blood relatives movies brought up. I'm just kidding, everybody. I promise we are not bullies. <laughs> Um, but so, okay. Oh, we, need, sorry. we need to take a, we need to take a quick break. Listeners. We'll be right back. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns, but a deep voice doesn't sell B2B and advertising on the wrong platform. Doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. okay. <laughs> this um, is a new thing for us. The new thing for us. But okay. So Congratulations. Was- <laughs> it's, it's a sponsorship. Yeah. Thanks. Advertisers. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so Noah, we have talked about your horror history and blood relatives, but what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? Well, I brought a movie that scarred me for life. Many of us, um, a movie that, uh, that really still to this day kind of resonates with me when I think about my, my friendships and the, uh, the bodies I've seen, the leeches i've found in my underpants uh the pies, pies consumed. Yes. i've eaten thank you yes i'm glad we're on the same page ladies and gentlemen stand by me stand by me um so i'm gonna give a brief synopsis this is imdb's wonky synopsis everybody so this is not me or terry's doing this is our copy and paste job um from imdb um after the death of one of his friends a writer recounts a childhood journey with his friends to find the body of a missing boy it's just um a little i don't know there's a little silly a bit of a writing there but you know um i i gotta know that because boy rewatching this movie as an adult like just really brought me back to being a kid but i am really curious how old were you when you saw this movie how did you see this movie what about it terrified you give us your give us your horror story well i think that this this was i talked a little bit about this earlier this was part of a generation of films that were shown so frequently on basic cable okay that you could turn your tv on on like any given day or afternoon or weekend and like stand by me would be playing and i think that there were people who probably were programming it who were thinking like well that's a nice it's a coming of age story about mm-hmm. these four nice nice looking boys and you know and they sort of have this adventure and 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 uh you know why don't we just play it five times a day and i think it was probably lost on uh a lot of people how much this would affect you know a 10-year-old kid who was watching this, who was wondering whether they were going to fit in with their friends or whether they were going to have friends just like the ones that they had over the summer. You know, all these sort of like feelings that are that are incredibly universal, right? Yeah. I don't, you can't find anybody who has not had the summer with their best friends and seen them move away or, you know, not connect when school starts the next year, um, mm-hmm. go to different schools, whatever the case may be. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it, it, this incredibly universal sort of vibe and feeling. Um, and, you know, along with that, just this sort of sense of, of loneliness, this sense of kind of, um, of, of, uh, of consequence, right? Like mm-hmm. that's such a huge thing is when you start realizing that there are, 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 are real consequences. Yeah. Um, and you have to face them, you know, and many of us, you know, we go through our childhoods blissfully ignorant of being hurt physically or, or, or being hurt otherwise, you know, I mean, and we're lucky for it, right. We're lucky if we get through our childhoods. Now we realize now that we've, you know, sort of hopefully branched out and opened our eyes, we see that there are so many kids who have totally fucked up childhoods, but a lot of us go, Oh no, we were fine especially kids who are like, you know, people who are like millennials or like Gen X. Like we often like kind of are like, no, I've, I've suppressed those memories, you know, everything was beautiful. Um, but stand by me, you know, through the eyes of these boomers sort of like really does kind of force us to kind of face real genuine fear with your peers. Yeah. 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 I, uh, boy, um, 
for me, like I, I remember seeing this movie when I was when I was a kid and I was living in Alaska because I grew up in my first like elementary school years in Alaska. And I remember seeing this movie on VHS. Um and boy, it it really kind of spoke to I I guess I didn't realize it at the time, but now looking back on it, particularly because it's been gosh, I mean, I'm I'm 41 right now. I saw it back in like the 80s, maybe the very early 90s is when I saw it. So like a long time ago. And I, as you said, millennials repressing a lot of shit. This movie brought back so many of those feelings of living in Alaska where people would come in and out of your life because most of the people that were friends were there because of the military. And so they'd be turning around and leaving. And I was a very shy, awkward, overweight, closeted queer kid that didn't understand his sexuality. And so there was like watching this now as an adult, it just brought me immediately back and reopened a whole lot of like shit that I was like, Oh God, bury that, bury that. Because it just, uh, I don't know. This movie is something else. It really is. And like, it's funny because I had never thought about it as sad because my mom, my mom loves this movie. Like I texted her that we watched it. She was like, it's my favorite movie. I love this movie so much. And like, we watched it as a family a lot. And like, I only, when I was rewatching it, I only remembered like, the pie scene. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that in forever, but then because I, I thought, okay, so for some reason, I thought that was a, from a Tim Burton movie, the pie scene, because it has this like kind of sheen to it. Little that manic feels energy. Like, yeah, manic energy, and obviously because it's a story, it feels a little bit out of time and space. And so watching this and seeing the pie scene, and then the leech scene where he pulls the leech out of his underwear, like I remembered all those chunks that were funny to a kid, mm-hmm. but watching it now i did not realize how absolutely bone shatteringly heartbreakingly sad this movie is and how much it is about grappling with grief and your place in the world and friendships and i didn't remember how smart this movie was and how incredible it is in terms of getting to like the kind of core of what it means to be a kid and like the division between childhood innocence and getting to the point where you're starting to kind of that innocence is slowly starting to fade away as you kind of realize like your place in the world, especially with River Phoenix's character and him just being like, I'm stuck here forever. Like everyone's going to think I'm a loser. I'm going to just be, you know, a guy who gets in trouble all the time. And that's my fate. And hearing like a kid say that, like right before going to junior high, it's so heartbreaking to realize like we, I felt like that as a kid too, but I never like kind of thought about it until rewatching this movie last night and just crying into a pillow about it and and the other part is when um gordy because we have gordy grappling with the trauma of his brother passing away and his parents and having like my dad doesn't even like me like that was a whole other like length of trauma that i did not ever want to confront or think about again but with him he's just like a kid realizing his status with his family at such a young age and it's just it's a lot to think about and take in and realize my mom was showing this movie to me when I was like eight, <laughs> like willingly showing this movie to me. And, and I like, loved con- it. It's wild. You start contextualizing it like in terms of like the yeah. Vietnam War as well, mm-hmm. right? Where yes. you've got like an, you know, it's like a lot of these, a lot of these people who worked on this movie were people who were like, well, you know, the fifties were fine because we, you know, they didn't send us to Southeast Asia to, you know, go and kill a bunch of people. You know what I mean? Like it was, you know, it was like contextually, I think that there was sort of this sense of like, I think 
and it'd be interesting to talk to Rob Reiner about it or even King about it. You know, was there something sort of bucolic here that, again, mm. to us, to younger people, is terrifying because, you know, we, you know, we've lived through wars, but we haven't been sent to war. You know what I mean? We haven't had yeah. the sort of the Vietnam experience, right? Um, you know, and, and, um, uh, uh, I think, um, you know, these were kids who were sandwiched between two, like, kind of major wars that, yeah. uh, again, we haven't sort of had to deal with that as, as you know, Gen X and millennials and Zoomers, you know? And, and so I just, I wonder if there is this sort of like, you know, weird, weird to say, but like a lack of self-awareness where it's like you're watching the sort of sausage get made and it doesn't, it's not gross to them. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting. Though. It's not callous. It's very sensitive. No. I don't want to say it's not, yeah. it's, it doesn't feel like it's callous. It feels like it's very genuine, but it's also very like matter of fact, which I guess is also like that's very Stephen King is sort of like, this place is haunted and it just is. Don't worry about it. Like that's just welcome to Maine. You know what I mean? Right, and right. it's like, yeah, there's like this sort of aw shucks kind of mentality that is super effective for spookiness. So maybe it's done by design. Maybe I just kind of blew up my own theory. I don't know. Well, I I, I do think rewatching this movie now, the, one of the things that really impressed me was the almost anti-nostalgia for the 50s that this movie kind of has like hiding underneath the seams. Because a lot of times when we watch a lot of 80s movies, a lot of those movies were kind of influenced by the kind of 50s style film or like, you know, suburbia, that kind of aspect of it that felt very 50s and in, in its like sentimentality. And there is some of that here. But like, once you start to like look at these people, they're all very damaged. Teddy has is his ear is burnt because his father held his face to a, a stove and is now in a in an insane asylum somewhere. Uh, so we have that. You have Gordy who is grappling with the fact that his brother, who was sort of like the fifties ideal, you know, uh, he's a handsome man. He drove cars. He had a girlfriend. He played football. And he's the one that passed away. And Gordy, this little weird kid who likes writing stories and telling stories about throwing up, is like the one that that lived. And you have poor, uh, it's Chris, I think, right? That River Phoenix plays. Chris, who's, mm -hmm. who's his whole family is looked down upon in town. So we have all of these, these different people that are just grappling with something that I don't think a lot of 50s nostalgia kind of um, exemplifies. It's It's usually just sort of ma and pa and everyone is happy and everything is so whitewashed and here it's like no it's still kind of fucked up yeah. and that really struck me on this watch that i had never really thought of i guess well yeah. i think it's such a king it's such a king thing mm -hmm. you know yeah. like like that's something that i think we've all come to kind of realize maybe after the fact you know is is such a huge part of king is like oh wait well right underneath this thing is a really fucked up situation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this movie almost feels timeless is not the right word, but they don't, it doesn't focus on the fact that it's the fifties. There's obviously mm -hmm. like, the, like the visual cues with the cars. We have Corey Feldman's glasses, like there's visual cues, but it does feel a little bit removed from, again, that kind of sentimentality of that time period specifically. I think it's, it feels almost timeless in a way even though again it is anchored in being in the past and being in the 50s but there's something about it that kind of tries to like you said terry avoid 
that kind of like saccharine nostalgia that again we've seen a lot of that now in like these 80s i mean come on stranger things is trying to be stand by me with like scarier stuff and we've seen this like nostalgia coming back now so it's also really interesting watching stand by me now after we've had a lot of these movies and shows that are coming out in the past couple of years that i think are trying to follow that formula that stand by me and correct me if i'm wrong feels like it really like created these four group of four boys who obviously give each other shit but it's like a non-toxic emotional friendship especially between Gordy and Chris's character who they're able to cry in front of each other and be emotionally vulnerable and like we don't we barely see that now (laughs) like in cinema so having this such early example of a non-toxic group of guy friends who are just they love each other and they're friends. And even though it's fleeting, like it's something so pure about that friendship that I wish we saw more of. Still continue to see more of, but yeah. Yeah. It, the, the, the scenes where, where Chris breaks down and cries in front of Gordy is just, well, first of all, it reminded me how, how tragic it is that we lost River, uh, River Phoenix. Cause he is so phenomenal in this performance. Like all the characters, all the actors in this are really good, but his performance in particular, just like, I don't know. It just really st- stood out to me this time. And um, I, I don't know. There's just, there's something very otherworldly or like ab- uh, ahead of his, his time. Like he has like an emotional intelligence in this role that I just surprised the hell out of me for being a, a child actor. Really? just so good um i ha- i'm curious though with with some of the the, the scenes did was it what was it exactly about this that that's terrified you noah was it was it uh the overall kind of feel of this movie or was it did the scenes jump out at you that kind of scared you as a kid you know i'm I'm sure that there were uh, you know i'm sure that the leeches and running mm-hmm. from the train i mean there's a lot of like sort of exciting gags in yeah. the movie you know running from the dog i mean there's all this stuff that is kind of super dynamic that is happening in the movie it does feel like you're kind of on an adventure but i i'm absolutely sure that it, it was the emotional stuff it was mm-hmm. you know i don't know it was you know, Chris stealing the the milk money and admitting to it, you know, and still being sort of treated like a piece of shit for doing it, right? This idea right. that like grown, grownups aren't going to protect you. Yeah. Eyeball doesn't protect them, right? Like, like that, that is a big realization that I think uh, uh, happens to people too young. This idea that they are not going to be protected and cared for. And I think that that's something that that in one way or another, all the kids are grappling with, right? Like, you know, whether Gordy's dealing with it because his brother passed away or, you know, you know, whether, whether Chris is dealing with it because he comes from this like totally broken home or, you know, um, uh, you know, Teddy Corey Feldman's character, because uh, uh, he is the victim of domestic abuse, parental domestic abuse, you know, and, 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 and even, um, you know, even Vern, I mean, as, as the sort of, you know, kind of, you know, this, this sort of chubby, quirky, uh, uh, you know, intellectual kid is sort of kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not part of anything. You know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not being protected. I'm not being, you know, and he can kind of laugh it off because he does what a lot of people do, which is becomes the funny one. Right. And that's sort of the, Mm -hmm. you you see it happening. 
you're watching it as it happens. Like, you know, and, yeah. and when you're, and I think, you know, the, the, the kind of, you know, the, the, the effectiveness of it is, is that I think as a little kid, you probably knew that's what was going on, even if you couldn't articulate it watching the movie. Yeah, right. We right. knew what that scene was because we were that kid or we knew that kid. I think a lot of people listening to this probably were that kid. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, we weren't most of the people listening to this podcast. A lot of people who are still talking about this movie weren't the Chris's. Um, uh, they were the Gordies or the Verns, right? Yep. They were the people who, who, uh, uh, somehow tried to turn it into something that helped them yeah. kind of get a, a, a foothold. And I think again, sort of watching that happen in real time as it's happening to you in real time is fucking terrifying. Yeah, it really is. This movie has a lot of, there's a, it, it, there's a melancholy to it, but there's also a whole lot of existential dread. And it made me start thinking about the first time that I, I guess as a kid experienced death in a way. And it, there was like, mm. there's two things that, that jumped out at me in terms of like thinking about that. And the first one was, I remember uh, being, I don't know, I must've been like eight or nine years old and finding um, a, a dead bird on the side of the road and feeling like I have to bury this. And so I buried it in the, in the ground right outside the, the, the road. And I put like a little stick in it, sort of like some, thinking about it. And then a few days later, I don't know why I did this. I went back and I dug it up and it just was full of, was full of maggots. And so like, this was my first realization of like, this is death. And then when I was 14, um, I lost a friend in a, a car accident. She was visiting her, her parents were divorced. She was visiting her father and um, they had a car accident. She was not wearing um, a seatbelt. And so I just, I remember not wanting to go to her funeral because in the back of my mind was this image of what death was, which was this bird. And it seems so weird to like conflate the two, but that was what was going through my, my childhood mind at then. And I was like, I, so I'm watching this and I'm thinking about the fact that they're going to actively see this body. And it's like, this is their first encounter with mortality in a way. And it just, I don't know. It like got me spiraling as I was watching this movie last night. But it's also interesting because it's not Gordy's first experience with death, no. but it's what helps him confront, like mm -hmm. actually kind of, I think more understand his brother's death, which I think is another interesting part of this movie where it's like, yeah, it seems to be all of their first experiences of death, except for Gordy, but Gordy hasn't, hasn't like really come to terms with his brother's death yet. And then seeing this body and we have Gordy's kind of, breakdown when he sees it it's like why did my brother have to die and it's just like this experience is all of them kind of realizing you know they have all these like near-death experiences here where like that they're running from the train and um you know they're just being kids but then they kind of realize oh shit like this kid is our age and he nothing like he got hit by a train it's not like some horrible murder like it was an accident and something terrible happened to him and it could happen to anyone at any age it's not like kids aren't safe and so there's this illusion of safety that's just kind of completely i feel like wiped away and i think that even comes to that even happens when you know Kiefer sutherland's like gang of guys shows up and gordy grabs the gun and it's like all right like i'm done like it's such a i know it's very kind of on the nose that he's got the gun is not pointing at them and he didn't want to have the gun before but still i think it is like an interesting part of like these kids finally realizing like safety is an illusion yeah and while they've gone through trauma and teddy has gotten you know his father has hurt him everything has hurt him there is still again this like kind of shockingly shocking realization that kids aren't safe and 
you know, no matter what you do in the world, no matter how much you try to protect yourself, there is still danger out there. And I think that is like such a terrifying nugget in this movie of just like the realization that you are not safe, no matter how old you are and how careful you are. Safety is kind of very easily um, destroyed. Yeah. Which is a lot. And that, that hero moment that happens at the end when, when eyeball and the gang shows up, you know, to, I, I don't know, to, to, to claim the body or something as if it is, you know, their trophy. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's, it, there's, there's Gordy's reaction is a moment of growth, right? Like Gordy's reaction yeah. is the moment where he sort of says, no, like we have to kind of be stewards for a very human, very sensitive experience as yeah. opposed to exploiting it or as opposed to kind of treating it callously, which makes them infinitely more mature yeah. than their big siblings, right? And it kind of says like, okay, now we're on a different playing field. It's no longer that you're big brother and I'm little brother. Now I'm actually a good person and you're a shitty person. And that is something mm-hmm. that we take with, with us for the rest of our lives. That's sort of like, that's, that's the moment that you grow up. Right. And, and it's, and it's encapsulated in this very, yes, obvious way. Absolutely. But it's incredibly effective. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was also thinking about how um, I, I love when movies uh, you saw in a lot of particularly like the kind of teen comedies of like the eighties where they got after school and then there's like the, the little, credit title cards were like this person went off to do this this person went off to do this Mm. and this film kind of does that in a in a more subtle way but it kind of dispenses with their futures as if like they're meaningless and that just like i don't know watching this as a 41 year old just like it really hit me in the stomach about like you know this was the moment this was their one moment and then afterwards it was like yeah we lost touch with with Vern and teddy uh they were just faces in the hallway Last I well, heard, Vern was counter, like... Counterpoint, Terry. <laughs> counterpoint. I actually think that the sort of epilogue of what happened to the boys is very telling. Okay. Because I think that... And tell me if I'm wrong, I don't have it in front of me, but Vern basically becomes like a normo. Yes. Right? Like Vern yeah. is like, he's got kids. He like works at a factory or something. Mm-hmm. And certified like, forklift operator. You know, he's a certified forklift. I mean, so you have to, <laughs> so, but, but you, you know, you got to figure again, you know, this is not a movie that is about how, you know, is not about sort of otherworldly sets of expectations and successes. Like, that's a good success for Vern. Mm-hmm. Like Vern, who kind of had to joke his way through, through being ostracized, ostensibly has a good job and a family and everything's yeah. going really well, you know? And then you've got uh, Teddy, who uh, who has, you know, went to jail and kind of never left town and obviously never dealt with the incredible trauma of having been abused and, and you know, and, 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 um, you know, and Gordy went on to become a, a writer and to sort of be the narrator, right? Like, you know, that sort of, that makes, that kind of makes sense for, for him. And then the Chris of it all, right? Chris, like, Chris, like, in spite of it all, became a real person and became a good person and then died mm-hmm. being a good person, right? He died breaking up the fight and he got sort of stabbed in the middle of somebody else's fight or something. And, um, I don't know. I think it, I think it does sort of reflect that, like, that, that, uh, 
their futures do kind of line up with the story that we saw yeah. over a weekend when they were 12. Yeah, that's true. It is also scary in, a, in its own way of just like, I guess not scary, but there's something, it's either it's both like comforting, but also like, oh shit, like they set themselves up, 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 they set themselves on these paths so young. And there is something like existentially terrifying about that. Mostly thinking about my own self as a child and like that. Yeah. Wow. Good Lord. Um Yeah. I because uh, I I wanted to be a writer since I was a kid yeah. and now I am writer and I'm like oh shit like I am a little bit like Gordy and that kind of like and it, I don't, it's not a bad thing but it's just very weird to kind of think about it and conceptualize it that way it's just very like oh I was a kid once <laughs> weird yeah you know I I honestly I think this might be my favorite adaptation of a King work honestly <laughs> um and there was. There was some kind of like little bit of a of a nugget where Reiner um, recalled that after a private early screening of the film, King excused himself for 15 minutes to compose himself and then returned to remark that, quote, this is the best film ever made out of anything I've written, which isn't saying much, but you really captured my story. It is autobiographical. And then Reiner in a ask me anything on on Reddit. Uh, a few years ago said that stand by me is his personal favorite of his own films. And there's a, uh, I don't know. There's some, there's so much humanity to this film that uh, it's just, it's such a it's such a good film. It's so good. So thanks for letting us watch it again, Noah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, making thank us watch you it guys again. for, for uh, accepting this as a scarred for life um, entry. I mean, I mean, it, it made perfect um, sense. <laughs> I feel like there are not many people who are, who, who, who do not have a very kind of, genuine visceral reaction to stand by me i think it really evokes something um and maybe it won't for people who were not of our generation maybe it is sort of a generational thing um but the movie is a generational movie i mean there's stuff that is out there that like my kids are going to be into that like i'll probably not connect with mm -hmm. on an emotional yeah. level you know and 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 i hope i do but um but i do think that yeah that there's this this sort of um you know, the movie is about a sort of liminal place in our lives. And I think yeah. the, the, the movie itself occupies, occupies sort of a liminal place in our lives um, and probably the lives of people who listen to podcasts. So, you know, join us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Um, but so let's wrap up and give this our, our rating out of five. Terry, you're going to go first. How many leeches out of five do you give? Stand by me. Boy, uh, I mean, when I when I added this on Letterboxd, I saw that I'd given it a four. I think um, I'm probably going to bump that up a little bit and give it a I'm going to cut one of those leeches in half, throw it off of mm. off of the balls and say this is a four and a half film for me. I, I I don't know. I think I honestly I've seen it so many King adaptations and I honestly think that this one understands the heart and understands the the feeling in the in the in the short story, the novella that he wrote more so than a lot of adaptations get. Because I, I do think a lot of times when people ad adapt King's work, they might get the narrative right. They might get the the kind of structure right. But there's something there's something that I feel like they're missing in terms of a lot of times, not all of them, a lot of times in terms of like the, the emotion and the meaning behind what, what King was writing. And I think mm -hmm. this one captures that absolutely perfectly in a way that surprises me even today, rewatching this some 30 years later, I think. 
30 or, or more years later. So uh, this is a four and a half for me. What about you, Mary Beth? It's definitely a four and a half. I had fond memories of watching this with my family when I was younger, but now rewatching it, I just have an even deeper appreciation for it and what it says about childhood and also what it says about storytelling. I mean, we mm. have all these fun interludes of Gordy's stories about a kid, a fat kid getting revenge and throwing up pie. And like, I think Great image. it's just, I know, God, it's stuck in my head forever. And now I remember where it's from. And I think it's just a really, like all of King's stuff, a really good look at the, like the art of storytelling. And like you said, Terry, I think it is one of the best adaptations of his work. I think it from the performances to just the direction to everything about it, it just cuts the the that weird liminal part of your childhood when like you're about to go to junior high and you're kind of starting to realize what the world is, but you're not totally sure yet. And it captures that excitement and fear in such a incredible way that I haven't really seen done quite often in cinema. So it, it's gonna, it's, I'm just glad I could rewatch it and reappreciate for what an incredible film that it is. Um, but then, Noah, you have the final word. How many leeches out of five do you give Stand By Me? You got to tell listeners, what, what did you just do? <laughs> I, uh, I just I just looked down my own. I looked down my own shirt. Looking for um, leeches. Uh, looking for leeches. Um, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's a perfect film. I think it's a I think it's a it's 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 five leeches out of five. Um, you know, I I picked it. Uh, it would be awkward <laughs> if I didn't uh, if I didn't think that it was effective, especially as a movie that that is uh, so so effectively now as an adult reflective of my experience as a kid when I watched it. Right. And think about like the magic there that as a kid, I watched this movie and it connected with me and it resonated with me because it made me, it, it, it sort of confirmed my feelings mm -hmm. and, and it made me feel seen. And now as an adult, it gives me comfort. Um, and, and not in any less effective a way. And yeah. I, I don't, I, I think that that's, it, that's so incredibly magical, um, especially when you're able to sort of take the scariness and the trauma along with the fellowship and the camaraderie and the coming of age, and then yeah. still look back at it and go, this is incredible. This is, this is beautiful. I mean, how many, how many, any things can you say that about? That's a good point. I have I have re-approached re a bunch of media that I consumed as a kid in the 80s, and a lot of it hasn't aged as well. But this movie, I was I was dreading kind of watching it because I had such a specific memory of it as a kid. But revisiting it, you're absolutely right. You nailed it on the head. I think I'm going to add that half leech back in and just give it full on five for me, too, because you're you're at can say it better. You're absolutely right. Hearts and minds one at a time, Terry. That's what I, that's what I like to do. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Noah, for joining us to talk about Stand By Me. Uh, you, where can I just find you and what do you have that you're able to talk about or share or promote? Oh, uh, I am on, you know, whatever social media sites exist this week. <laughs> um, who knows? Yeah. Um, who knows where I'll be um, next <laughs> week? Um, but I'm pretty easy to find out there on the Internet. Noah Segan, um, sometimes 
uh, under Kid Blue on like Twitter and Instagram and stuff. And then other than that, I mean, I got this movie that just came out, uh, uh, Blood Relatives, and hopefully enough people like it and pick it at Sam Zimmerman's house um, to convince him that we need to make another one. Hell yeah. So listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Stand By Me? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gaily Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, subscribe. And if you want to support us some more, we are on Patreon. Uh, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>